barbecue back there, and you didn't invite me. Hurt my feelings. You'll be pleased to know this is the last time I'm hosting. I don't care anymore. Um, I'm joking. I never did. Braxton Miller's loose spin move. Miller heading for the end zone. You're in no position to left to the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. He'll run it after the 10, 15, 20. 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Lucky for me, the press can barely speak English. But they are who we thought they were. Well, he has trouble with the snap. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State. Jalen wants Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. Oh, then get the fuck out of here then. Okay, see ya. It is Thursday, October 6th. Welcome to Menace to Sports. It is an SEC Thursday. Figure as we iron this out, you know, we got multiple games to talk about week in, week out. I figure Thursday's a nice day to do an SEC breakdown. Friday as well, you know, it will be more of a Big Ten focus. Also uh, discussing our, our mailbag every Friday. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. As always, I appreciate you. Chris, how are you on this fine Thursday? I'm doing well, my friend. We're one day closer to college football. So you know, that has me a little geeked. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Well, we're going to talk about, I, I have a couple topics that I want to discuss because as I keep watching film, you know, you, you have this kind of knowledge base, this library in your head of games you've actually studied. And as the, as the season goes on, you just add to that bank and you become more knowledgeable on the landscape. And and I, I have a serious question for the chat, and it, it's the show title, it's it's the graphic. My question is, is Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss the best equipped team to take out Bama? Because all season long I've talked about Tennessee, but the more I watch, the more I study about Ole Miss, I think they might be the best team to upset Bama. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about Alabama's matchup, the revenge tour with Texas A&M. We're going to talk about georgia auburn because that i mean you'd think that would be a game but it doesn't look like it's going to be and then obviously we're going to talk about recruiting in ohio state but um chris i'm excited i'm excited for the show okay good i'm here for it i'm 100 here for it. we got a couple topics though zach i want to get to before we uh before we talk about games but that is an interesting topic like how is old miss being built and are they being built just to beat Bama. But again, that's again for a little bit later today. I want to start off with this. There was a uh, a kid from Georgia. He had an offer to play for Florida State, um, yeah. and it looks like he committed, and then they will not honor his commitment. So he's opening up his recruitment. Zach, how does recruiting work? Work? What are offers really like? And like, have you ever been in a spot where a kid wants to commit to you, but you don't want to accept his commitment? What does that look like? I mean, it's never happened to me because I, I recruited areas where these kids are heavily, heavily recruited. And if you right. didn't want a kid to commit, you just simply stopped recruiting them. I mean, you didn't have to pull an offer. If you evaluated a kid and said, hey, this kid, I don't think this kid is good enough or, or, or he's not a good fit. Like eventually you can just walk away. You just stop talking to him. And mm -hmm. that's the end of it. And then, you know, you'll get some backlash if later he's like, where's Ohio State at in the mix? He's like, I don't hear from the coaches. It's like, yeah, well, it's because we don't want you. Yeah, well, that's less that's less of a PR disaster than the kid coming out and saying, well, I tried to commit and they didn't honor my commitment. It, it felt like a, a weapon almost. Here's the issue, and, I, and we don't know the details, but I know mm -hmm. Mike Norvell, I know I know several coaches down there, they don't operate this way this way. They they would never offer a kid, legitimately offer a kid, and then when he commits, say, nope, pull the rug out from under him. That's just not what would happen. <clears throat> If they offered this kid, it was to get him to campus. And and, mm -hmm. and th there's just a, a breakdown of communication here because I've done it thousands of times where you offer a kid to get him to come to campus. Like a kid's not going to travel from Georgia to Tallahassee without an offer, right? But but why this is so head-scratching is the kid doesn't have big offers. I mean, I'd, I'd say one of his, his biggest offers, Boston College. Mm -hmm. Like Florida State doesn't need to offer that kid right now unless they just love him and they feel like they found a diamond in the rough and they're, they want him to commit. So. I think there was a miscommunication on whether he got offered. Florida State, I'm sure, didn't think they offered him. Um, but I don't know all the details of this specific situation. But in recruiting, this happens all the time where kids get meaningless offers. Offers are just basically like, hey, I, th I think you're cute in middle school, right? It, it doesn't mean you're... you're it has to be your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, offering to date him. It's just like, I think you're cute. Do you think I'm cute? 
and let's let's go down this journey, right? That's what offers have become. And I, I've, I've several times on this show, I've bitched and complained about what an offer means. An offer should be a written offer. You have a scholarship at Florida State, and then as soon as that spot is gone, that offers null and void, right? You're offering someone. It's like offering someone a job. Like, listen, we have three marketing jobs open. I'm going to offer these six people. If three people jump in, those other three don't have offers anymore. Right. And, and and that certainly wasn't the case here, but you offer so many kids just to get in the game. Mm-hmm. And it's honestly, if you really, it, it's a miscommunication. This is Florida State's fault. They should have been very transparent, at least with the coach, right? Because you can offer a kid, make him feel like you want him, and then talk to the coach, say, listen, he so he has an offer, but we we, we wouldn't take his commitment right now. We we just wanted him to know we're serious about this and we want to get him to campus and we want to see if this is a fit. That's, you have to do it that way. And that way the head the, the head high school coach can be the mediator. Like he can he can navigate this kid through these murky waters that are full of bullshit, which is recruiting, and you know, just help him help him figure out where to go. But th- there was a complete breakdown in communication between Florida State, the high school coach, and the kid. And and, and for it to play out publicly, I don't know what they gain out of that. Like, what does the kid gain out of basically saying, "Hey, Florida State doesn't want me"? Who's gonna yeah. Who's gonna offer him now on that level? They're gonna sit here and be like, "Damn, Florida State wouldn't take his commitment. He must not be good enough. I'm not gonna offer him." Right? It, it is. It It is really interesting. Um, the the whole the whole Florida State kind of part of it. And additionally, I don't want to sp- spend too much time thinking about rankings. But Zach, this is a kid that's class of 2023 that has zero stars. It's, it's and not that that it's, means anything. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it to me it doesn't it doesn't mean nothing, but it means something. That's kind of head scratching that that that's that that's kind of the kid that's coming out and talking about this and saying, you know, like I I had this offer, they don't want to they don't want to honor it, and it it does it does get a little dicey. I know that the closest thing I could think of that that in terms of Ohio State was what Danny Clark and Todd Sibley, kind of similar situations ish. Yeah, I mean to an extent, and, and that was. That that was absolutely a foobar. Like that was that was that was that was completely fucked up by Urban. I and mean, he offered Danny Clark and Todd Sibley as like sophomores when they had no business getting offered. He just offered them because he had a feeling that the kid was going to blow up. And it's like mm-hmm. you don't. You're at Ohio State. You don't offer a kid because you have a feeling he might blow up and become a great player. You offer him when he is or when you have an indication that he's going to be. And and Urban screwed that up beyond belief. And and Ohio State, I, I would hope they're allowed back in that high school. But you, were, Ohio State, was never getting a recruit from that high school ever again, as long as Urban was there, because he screwed that kid over to an extent. I mean, ultimately, well, it, is, he, it is it is interesting because I don't know like what school he screwed it up with because he offered Danny Clark when he was at Maslin, and then the offer got pulled when he went to Hoban. Well, so it was like, Hoban because he pulled mm-hmm. it when it was Hoban. Okay, and, and you just have, I mean, think about it, right? In the grand scheme of life. Pulling an offer like that or not taking a commitment from that kid actually did that kid a favor because Florida State is saying, we don't think you're good enough here. If you come here, like maybe we made a mistake offering you, whatever it is. If that kid goes to Florida State and he's not good enough, doesn't play, he's going to transfer and his his whole journey is going to get fucked up. So they're actually doing the kid a favor as well as the school a favor. It's, it's in everyone's best interest to not take a kid that you believe can't play that, at your school. Like it's It's in the kid's best interest too. But kids don't feel that way, right? It's like they feel rejected, they feel slighted, and then they want to. I guess this is revenge on Florida State for not wanting him. It's just it's it's a bizarre look and, and a bizarre situation. And of course, I've seen every Florida beat writer talking shit about Florida State and Mike Norvell now, and it's like, why make this a publicity stunt that you're not good enough? Now everyone's looking at the kid like, if I'm Florida, I'm not recruiting that kid. Florida State mm-hmm. didn't want him. Why why would we want him, right? And it's, well, it is, it's only- it is, well, it is funny seeing Florida beat writers bash Florida State when it, and it's like okay you guys take them yeah take them and, and I think that that becomes the narrative like no we're, we're not going to take them we don't recruit that that level of athlete we recruit better athletes right now it's just trashing the kid and I've mm-hmm. not watched kids film he might be a fantastic player I'm not saying anything about him specifically just this situation screwed up and obviously Florida State screwed it up I mean they, there should have been clear communication they should have never offered that kid I mean just them being interested should have been enough for that kid to come to a game in an unofficial visit I mean he has to pay his way anyways they didn't pay for it right and a lot of those unofficial visits like you want to see the kid work out in front of you to see if you're going to offer like a true green light offer, right? Is that what the purpose of that kind of visit is? I mean, it's, no, it's just it's just to get in the game. I mean, the purpose of what I'm saying, like, like if the kid's a, a zero star <clears throat> kid and you want to get him on campus to see if he's a green light kid because you want to ha- have him work out in front of you, right? Isn't that? Part yeah, but of- they're, no, they're they're not doing that this time of year. They're not getting kids mm-hmm. in, 
on campus in the fall to work, to work them out. Right. I mean, for, over the summer, yes, and I know they offered him last spring, so it was probably to get him to come to camp, probably get him to come work out. And then, then you can pull the trigger if you love the kid in person and you really evaluate him. But this shit happens everywhere. And for us to sit here and shit on Florida State, I mean, it's fucked up. They fucked it up. But it, <clears throat> I honestly look at this high school coach and this kid like, what, what are you? What is? What is this media tour? What, what is the point of this? Mm-hmm. Like. Are you trying to get his name out there some more? Like, I'm confused why we're dogging Florida State for not taking your commitment. Just move on. You have offers. Like, let's not make a publicity stunt out of someone not wanting you. Yeah, no, no, def- definitely hear that. Um, I, I do think it's interesting kind of right now. He has been really productive in high school football so far. I think last week he went for like 236 and, and two touchdowns, um, you know, playing in Texas. So, I mean, he's, he's been productive and kind of doing his thing. Um, so so I am I am really interested in kind of how this unfolds. I want to flip the script a little bit, Zach. Your guy, our guy, Josh Pay, friend of the network, shout out to Josh, was talking about hiring coaches and who should really get, you know, credit for these kind of things. And I want to get your take on it. Well, it, it's it, he brought a, the video was outstanding, and, and he talked about something that I've talked about for a long time, and and that's the the best points he made that I've never made that that I thought were outstanding is just how the landscape has changed so much, not only with NIL transfer portal, but mental health issues that are so front and center in, in the the that it, demographic, really everyone, but that demographic specifically. Uh, college football is very different than it was twenty years ago, right? Even thirty mm-hmm. years ago, because thirty years ago. Barry Alvarez became the AD at Wisconsin, right? An older coach, an athletic, you know, a football guy or a sports guy became the AD. Nowadays, it's businessmen. And and that's where you find the perfect combination in guys like Gene Smith because they are businessmen. They are CEO. Correct. I mean, they're... Yeah, they're that CEO type of person, but he played D-line at Notre Dame, right? Like he he's a has a football background, has a sports background. Some of these ADs you see, they don't. They're, they're, they're like accountants or... Mm-hmm. or you know, Ticket office guys. Yeah, like marketing guys that just work their way up the ladder in admin and don't have a fucking clue about sports. And that's the problem with some of these hires. Not only are ADs not competent to evaluate a football coach or you know a football coach's actual resume, all they can do is 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 lean on like you know records and and numbers. They they can't evaluate a football coach. But even bigger than that, they don't even make the hires a lot of times. They're hiring search, search firms, firms. And, and now we're taking it one step removed. It's not only a guy that doesn't work in athletics or a company of guys and men and women that don't work in athletics. Now we're, I mean, they're in a t- like they could be eight hundred miles away. Mm-hmm. They have no idea about the fit for your university, like what what the hurdles that you have to overcome at this specific job, and is this coach the right coach to jump over those hurdles? No, look no further than Brian Kelly. Exactly. I think Brian Kelly's doing a great job coaching, but there's hurdles that I don't think he's capable of overcoming in Louisiana, mm-hmm. namely recruiting the South. He's never done it. Like Brian Kelly's been a Midwest coach his entire career, and he he didn't have a ton of success at Notre Dame going down South and getting kids from Georgia or Florida. Like he he didn't do that. Yeah. And now you surplant him in the SEC West, and it's like wow. Brian Harson's another great example. A Boise State lifer is going to be the head coach at Auburn. But what what are we doing? Yeah, like, it's, it it's crazy because I, I don't think these search firms account for like situational success. It's like, okay, so Brian Harson was able to be very successful at Boise State. That was a situational success based on fit. He is not a fit at Auburn. He's he it's it's simply not it. And so I think search firms miss that because well, and, they focus and, so much on analytics instead of watching somebody coach. And they also love a storyline, right? Like the Correct. Marcus Freeman hire was just the 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 reaction to Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, right? That's what it was. Mm-hmm. The Kirby Smart hire a, hire a coordinator. That's the move, and and so far, doesn't look like it was a great move for for the Fighting Irish. The same kind of model is Auburn's looking at it, or the search firm, or whoever hired that Brian Harson at Auburn. They're looking at the Urban Meyer story, right? Notre Dame receiver coach, Bowling Green head coach, goes out west to Utah, achieves success, mm-hmm. bring him to Florida, two national championships. It's like you can't just hope and assume that this Brian Harson is the next Urban Meyer. That right. is such a rare case of one of the best coaches in, in our lifetime just happened to be at Utah, right? It, it wasn't he wasn't a Utah lifer either. I mean, he was at Notre Dame. He, he was he was at multiple stops. Well, it's like search Ohio firms, State. like search firms will sell it as look. We've got the next Urban Meyer. Like, yeah, this, this is, next is, this Urban is Meyer. our this is our skeleton we're going to use, even though it is proven time and time again not to be the rule, but be the exception. But look, we're the search firm. We found the next Urban Meyer. It's a way of using that sexy name without hiring the sexy coach. It's like whenever it you're looking to hire a non-sexy coach, you just tie it to a sexy name. 
And that's what that's what Auburn did, and we've seen it so far. It's been kind of a little bit of a struggle. Struggle. It's an epic disaster. Brian Harson will be fired. Like, and and when he got hired, I, I did a whole show on how big of a mistake it was. Kind of like we did a whole show on how Brian Kelly would be a big mistake. The difference, the difference there is Brian Kelly at least has been, you know, a big time at, football coach. at a big time football program, right? Brian Harson has not. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's solely just the wrong people are making these calls. And I I've, I've told this story like Bowling Green State University needed to hire a football coach. Their biggest booster is a multimillionaire that played high school football for my grandfather. So he called my grandfather and said, hey, we're firing Gary Blackney. I need I need a name. And he said, you need to go hire Urban Meyer. That was the search firm. <laughs> a booster called a football coach, said who is, he basically said, hey, who's good? We don't fucking know what we're doing. Who's good? And a longtime Hall of Fame football coach said, this guy. And they said, okay, click. That was the whole search process. And they went and hired Urban Meyer. And look, and look what happened. Bowling Green was ranked. Urban Meyer went on to the, the career that he's had. And that's how it used to happen, right? These 80s, like Barry Alvarez would be at Wisconsin, and he would call buddies of his that are football coaches and said, hey, who's who's the next best? Like, who's the next hot coach? Yeah. And coaches would tell him who the next guy is, right? And it's it's just it's it, it's it's so far gone. And college football is so different now because it's a bunch of people in New York City that that run analytic and algorithm models saying, Oh, this guy's gonna be the guy. And you're like, What? Why? <laughs> <laughs> and then you just gotta interview well or That's not it. interview well, and uh and then it ends up working. Zach, before we move on to games, we have something we want to need to touch in on before and then we're gonna preview some of the SEC because you know it is a good old SEC Thursday around here. It is, it is. Well, I want, we NFL football tonight, Thursday night football. Gotta oh, yeah. love it. And so our partner, my bookie, we, we've partnered with them for really three years now. It is our sports book of choice. Um, they're offering promo code Menace for a free deposit match. You put in five hundred bucks, they'll give you five hundred free dollars. I think it's up to a thousand dollars. And so here's my play for tonight: Colts take on the Broncos under forty-two. The Broncos in, in every, only once last week was the only time they're they're. The over-under went over 42, and I don't think the Colts are going to score a ton of points here. So <clears throat> jump on over to my bookie, and, he, and that's my my lock of the day. Colts-Broncos under 42. You, uh, my bookie, you can bet single-game spreads, money lines. You can parlay that under with other bets, whatever you want to do. And the good news is if you go over to mybookie.ag and use that promo code MENACE, you get free deposit match. You get free money to place on this bet. So even if I suck and I miss, <laughs> you're not losing your money. You're losing my bookie's money. So go over to my bookie right now and they'll match your dollar for dollar. You put in a hundred, they'll give you a hundred. You put in a thousand, they'll give you a thousand all the way up to a thousand. So you get a thousand free dollars. So use promo code menace, go lock that bet in. I'm going under 42 on my bookie. And Chris, I also wanted to mention menace army. I really just want to put these pictures up because I would <laughs> much rather look at her than Chris. Whew. Look at those eyes. But Manscaped, go use promo code Menace on Manscaped. 20% off and free shipping. It's a difference maker. You see the lawnmower 4.0 right there. It is a rechargeable battery, has a little stand. It's a ceramic blade, so it doesn't cut anything. And this is this is really for the females out there, right? This is this is I'm selling it to you for the girls in your life, or girl, or woman, or whatever, whoever you fool around with <laughs> go over to manscaped and use promo code menace 20 percent off your entire order and free shipping so i need the army to go order that right now heck yeah i want to throw a couple of uh, super chats up before we get to the <laughs> the previews um this one's a fun one isaac atkins who pulls more girls kiffin or sabin <laughs> well, kiffin for sure kiffin's single sabin is a loyal husband correct <laughs> coach zach do you think the reason cj does not want to run is because of the threat of injury Maybe I mean part of it, or just he doesn't like to get hit. I mean he's not very tough. I mean it's 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 a combination of all those things. It certainly has nothing to do with inability or the defense stopping it. I mean it's mm. it's solely a decision he makes. This one's an interesting one. If if Fickle leaves Cincinnati, where does he end up? I thought that the Notre Dame search firm made a mistake by not contacting Luke Fickle after the season ended and trying to and trying to force him into an ultimatum going into the playoffs. I think that yeah. was a big mistake, right? Because I think they would have got him if they would have just been patient. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think Notre Dame is still in play here, depending on how Marcus Freeman does, you know, in the next year, two years. Notre Dame's still in play. Penn State's still in play. Who knows if that Ohio State marriage, they could reconnect at some point. Maybe Ryan leaves for the NFL. I mean, I think it's a Midwest job. Luke is not going to take UCLA or he's not, he's not taking some bizarre job. <clears throat> he's not going to the SEC. So it's going to have to be the right fit. And, he, and it, it might not come up. 
I mean, Michigan State tried once, so it's it's going to have to be a big-time program that could court him away from Cincinnati because he's got a good thing going at Cincinnati. They're, they're, they're going into a Power 5 conference. He has Cincinnati cooking. He's, do, he's killing it and recruiting at that level. And so I, I don't see him leaving other than for a Notre Dame, Penn State, Ohio State, and I don't think he'd ever go to Michigan. So those are really it. Those are the jobs. Do you think he'd ever consider Nebraska? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it's a little different landscape um, recruiting-wise. I, I I, could kind of see it. I don't think his wife wants to move to, to Lincoln, Nebraska. So that, 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 would, that would be a, maybe a 10% chance on, on my Luke Fickle uh, radar. Radar. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I don't think so. But, but he would listen. Mm-hmm. What about uh, uh, good old Wisconsin? Again, same about ten same percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. Heard, heard. I do think Penn State's a good fit for him. I think he'd be pretty dangerous at Penn State. If I'm being completely that's, honest, that's the one that I've had circled for a while. And the only, the only hang up there is I think Penn State will will entertain Matt Rule. Uh, yeah, in first. that same, you know, on that short list, it'll be Matt Rule, Luke Fickle, and probably someone that I haven't thought of. Um, but it'll be yeah, some to do some it. some search firm baby. <laughs> that's yeah, the third some, one. <laughs> some, some some next Urban Meyer that that the search <laughs> firm mm-hmm. says is the hire. The big, the big issue is also like Penn State. The budget's going to be tight when they hire the next coach because Franklin's buyout is astronomical. I don't understand how these mediocre coaches keep giving these absolutely astronomical buyouts. Well, here's the problem, though, Chris. Everyone's talking about Jimbo Fisher's buyout. They're never going to pay it. You, you have no idea how much money these programs have. If it's if it's absolutely a train wreck, like A and M might be this year, they'll mm. absolutely pay that money. Don't think that eighty million dollars is too much to pay. They will raise it, pay it, and move on and rip the bandaid off. Penn State will absolutely pay that buyout if if James Franklin all of a sudden this this season collapses on him, they absolutely will pay that pay his buyout. Perfect. That's a perfect segue into this next topic: um, Jimbo Fisher versus Nick Saban. Now, this is a game that kind of we've had circled for quite some time, Zach. It is weird because um, obviously we both thought A and M would be a little bit better than they are, but obviously we we put a little bit of faith in in Jimbo being a good coach. And again, he's shown time and time again that the, that things have passed him up. But last year, Zach, right after a loss with Zach Calzada at quarterback, they were able squeak out a win against Alabama. And then obviously the, the offseason beef sparked. We think they have talent. They're young. They just lost again. Is it rat poison? And additionally, this game gets really interesting because who's going to be the starting quarterback for Alabama? Now, I know that, you know, Alabama's keeping it really hush-hush. Nick Saban's been going on rant every time a media member asks him. He's meaner to his beat writer, beat reporters than any other coach on the planet, including Ryan Kelly. Um, and additionally, we don't know if it's going to be Bryce Young or Milrow as the, as the starting quarterback. And uh, there was a video that came out that, uh, you know, people that investigate Alabama saw Bryce Young appeared to be the quarterback in that video. Zach, what are your thoughts on this game? Does does Jimbo Fisher have a shot in hell at this win? No, he doesn't. I know it's, a, it's for, for a number of reasons, right? This game's been scheduled for a, or circled on the schedule for a year in Alabama's program with their players, their coaches, everybody. They want to get that bad taste out of their mouth of the upset that I predicted last year, by the way. I said A&M would win that game, and people called me crazy, and then they won. Um, but this is this is not the year for A&M, and I think we've seen that on the field, but this is also, I mean, there's, there's no Bama is not overlooking this, and here's why, right? Because this Alabama team is very different. I'm going to get in some Bryce Young stats, even though he's not going to play in this game. He's not going to be the quarterback. He's sitting this game out. He's going to rest up for that matchup with Tennessee. But I want to talk about Bryce Young at the end of this segment just to, to kind of highlight a couple things that have changed with Bryce Young and the offensive attack. But here's the reality. Bama's strength is their run game right now. Jameer Gibbs is the best player in college football, in my opinion. That is their absolute strength, and A&M's weakness is their rush defense, which is not Jimbo Fisher-like. I mean, they have the second-worst rush defense in Power 5 football right now, if you look at the grades and analytics. I mean, you look at their defense as a whole, they have the 11th rushing defense in the SEC versus the number one rushing offense in the SEC. Bama's averaging 7.4 yards per carry. They have a decent pass defense, and Bama's pass offense hasn't been very good. Then AM has the, the ninth best third down defense. Bama has the third best third down offense. So it's 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 not an even matchup. And and Alabama's gonna run the football. They don't need Bryce yeah, Young in this run game. The they, they can run the football, control the game, and win this game and get out of it and get to the next game and get Bryce Young a little more healthy. Even if it's Milrow, they're gonna run a ton of, of oh, zone he, reads. He, 
Oh, a ton. And he, he can't throw it very well. So they're not, gonna, they're not going to ask him to throw it a ton. So I would expect a lower scoring game than, than, than you would be used to because they're going to run the ball so much. And, and this is, this is not going to be, this is not going to be a tough game. I think Bama's going to beat the shit out of A&M. Is there a revenge factor for Nick Saban or does he not really believe in that? You think he's going to try to run the score up a little bit, push the thumb down a little harder than he would before. I mean, I think he definitely wants to beat Jimbo after losing to him last year in the offseason beef. I mean, but it's Nick Saban. He goes into every game with with an like a burning desire to win. It's not like that fire can get intensified much more than he already has it week in, week out. So it, I, I don't look at it and say, oh, man, Nick Saban really is going to elevate his game for this game. No, he he's not going to do anything different. He's going to try to beat the shit out of him like he does everybody. And it's I, I, I think it's going to happen. They have so much talent on the defensive line. Why is their rush defense so bad? Like AM has everybody you would want the last two years on, on D-line. And so hearing that their rush defense is bad is, is a little bit confusing and odd for a Jimbo team, especially a team that has two defensive line coaches, Zach, not just one. Well, you know, so it, you can have 20 defensive line coaches. It doesn't mean your defensive line and your, your front seven is going to stop the run very well. I mean, they get the, they they, the, why well. do you, the why do you have two? You have one for the D-tackle <laughs> and one for the DNs. Wouldn't you think that that would translate to some sort of success with stopping the run? My point, my point is, what is what is the number of coaches matter? Oh, I always thought that kind of like specialized help on on you know DTs. No, fuck, it doesn't matter. If, I mean, you're coaching and developing these kids, and if they aren't, if they mm. aren't better than your opponent if the talent isn't there or the, or the the execution isn't there you could have a, you could have 11 coaches for 11 kids it doesn't matter i mean those those kids need to execute the game plan to stop the run they need to tackle well they need to fit their gaps play aggressive understand the scheme and, and trigger ultimately and and that's where AM's missing right now they're just missing that 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 trigger that 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 accountability to play the proper gaps i mean they they they're they're just getting gashed in the run game Heard fair. If if AM wants to pull off this upset, how do they do it? Um they're gonna need to find a different quarterback. I mean, that's just <laughs> the reality of it. Uh they don't they don't have a quarterback in college station right now. Well, I you know it's funny because Max Johnson has regressed significantly since getting to AM. I think it's more of a Jimbo Fisher thing. And oh, yeah. I I think at some point he needs to kind of give up the reins to you know handling quarterbacks and calling plays. Um if they get beat badly, do you think Jimbo Fisher accepts the fact that the game has moved past his kind of quote unquote archaic system that he keeps trying to trot out there. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll see Jimbo's Jimbo's a different type of person. Um, he seems like the type of guy that would stay on the Titanic and try to with a, with a bucket and try to get the water off the ship. It's like, bub, probably should get in a life raft. I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> like, bub, this one is uh this one is going down. I am interested to see how this game goes. I do not think um, A&M will win this game uh, by, by any stretch. I think it is interesting um, given the, the whole quarterback thing. You never know how a kid's going to respond to being a quarterback for the first time out there. No um, doubt. And, and, and I did, I do want to off the, off the heels of that. I want to talk about Bryce young. And I know I, you know, I, for all, everything I've heard is he's not playing in this game. So this is not a relevant conversation to this game, but it's relevant to the national landscape and the future Bama that is going to roll out with Bryce young, you know, in right. a week or two or four, whenever he comes back, because there's a lot of conversation about the receivers and that being the main reason that Bryce has dipped in production. But I would push back and say that he's the same guy he was last year. And the receivers have had 10 drops already this year, which is about on pace. They had 30 last year with the first rounders that they had and that, you know, the, the, upgraded receivers compared to this year. But when you look at Bryce's stats, right? He's right now he's 39% on deep balls. He was 38% last year. He's 43% under pressure, which is a 30% dick decrease than when he's kept clean. And that's about the same as last year. He's 48%. So a slight dip. The biggest, biggest change for Bryce Young has been that last year, 39% of his passes were behind the line of scrimmage or check down. So almost 40%, right? This year, 56% of his passes have been behind the line of scrimmage or checkdowns. That's a 17% increase of where the ball is going, right? And, and that can certainly be blamed on the receivers, but this Bryce Young is only different because he's throwing it to Jameer Gibbs more, essentially, is the difference, right? You look at he has a 20% drop-off versus blitz, which is a, a red flag for quarterback play. If, if you don't attack and dominate blitz coverages better than base coverages, that's a red flag. And 20% drop off this year, 10% drop off last year. So a little worse versus blitz this year. But I think one of the most interesting stats 
is he has 97 attempts right now in drop back pass. Nine touchdowns, zero interceptions. He only has 37 attempts on RPO play actions with five touchdowns and three interceptions. So his three interceptions have come on concepts that are supposed to give you open receivers, right? Mm -hmm. RPOs. When you run a run play, if they trigger, you have numbers. There should be no issue there. That should be an easy pitch and catch. Your your production should increase, right? Play actions. You're, you're using the run action to get receivers open, right? He has now. Does this does this speak more to the receivers, or is he processing the information incorrectly? No, I mean he's he he's not processing it incorrectly. It's it's mostly. And I broke down when I broke down the offense on Patreon. You could see it. The receivers don't understand the concepts that they're running. They 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 don't get their depths. They don't run good routes. That's part of the issue. But it's a huge red flag when play actions and RPOs have given you three interceptions. And pure drop back pass where everyone knows you're passing it. Everyone's dropping in coverage. They're trying to defeat the pass. They're not confused. It's no deception. He's not thrown a pick yet. So that that's impressive. More, that's really impressive for him, I must say. That, that's my point. He Bryce Young is the same guy he was last year. And and I I was on record saying he was not the best quarterback in the country last year because of everything I'm talking about. But the fact that in play action passes where he's struggling is just it's mind blowing to me. And that goes to coaching and receiver play for sure. And it's unlike <laughs> some of the quarterbacks we've seen similar in stature to him. Like like uh, Kyler Murray was so, you know, so good at the RPO stuff, obviously on Lincoln Riley. I mean, we know Russell Wilson done a really good job with the RPO stuff in the league when he was with Seattle. Um, so a lot of those guys that kind of, you know, have those similar traits are very good at the RPO stuff. So that is kind of a concern um, for the wide receivers. Is it too late for them to get that corrected? Or is this kind of what you expect the receiver play uh, for them to be year round? It's never too late to get that corrected. I mean, it's it, it's going to take, I mean, it's going to take time and it's going to mm -hmm. take work and they're going to have to just grind on it from now till till the end of the year. But my uh, the, the biggest problem is I think they might get got before it's fixed. Mm. Get got, and you can afford to get got once, but not twice. You can, and and, and that, that's the, the perfect segue to this conversation is: is Ole Miss the team that's going to do it? Mm. Because right now, you look at Lane Kiffin and, and his offense. His offense has always put up incredible stats, incredible numbers. They've Super been able efficient. to score on Bama, right? It, at times, their biggest issue has been they never really had a defense that can stop. Stop Bama. Stop what, what Nick Saban has going on on offense. And this year is hitting a little different because Ole Miss right now has the second-best defense in the SEC. They only give up 4.4 yards per play. They don't give up big plays at all. They're tied with Alabama. They only have nine passes over 20 yards, tied with Bama, who's, who's a dominant defense, right? They're also tied with Bama and Tennessee. They've only given up two runs over 20 yards, so they're not giving up big plays. They're tackling well. They're second in the SEC with 16 sacks, so they're getting after the quarterback. They're creating the third most turnovers in the SEC. They've, they've created nine turnovers compared to Tennessee has eight, Georgia has seven, and Bama, uncharacteristically, has only created two turnovers, which is dead last in the SEC. So for Ohio State fans that are like, why can't we create turnovers? Ohio State has created five turnovers, like one a game. Bama's only created two. And then you look at offensively, they they lead the SEC with only two sacks allowed, so they're protecting their quarterback. Their only issue really on offense that is, it's not really abnormal. Nick, Lane Kiffin runs that, that up-tempo offense, a lot of RPOs. Jackson Dart's not a deep ball quarterback. He's only hit 29% of deep balls. But when you look at the SEC, this is a four-team race. You, you have the two teams in the West, Bama, Ole Miss, the two teams in the East, Tennessee, Georgia, and you're just sitting here saying, can Ole Miss beat Bama? And of all the years to do it, with Bama's struggles in the throw game and Ole Miss's elevated defense comparatively to the years past, I think Ole Miss might be able to do it, not only because of that, but they have a bye week before they play Bama. They do, and giving a guy like Lady Kiffin a bye week where he can dial a lot up, it, what's more likely, Ole Miss beating Bama or Tennessee beating Georgia? Mm. I think Ole Miss beating Bama is more likely wow. than Tennessee beating Georgia. Two weeks on that. They they do have two weeks to prep for that. I'm not sure if I really fully believe in Ole Miss, but I do think for that game in particular, Lane Kiffin is hyper, hyper dangerous, especially given the fact that some cracks have been shown um, in terms of, you, you know, when Texas played Bama, the stuff that Sark was able to do offensively before Quinn Ewers went down really, really had things right. And honestly, they they are probably a, a Ryan Watts wrap-up away from winning that game. 
Um, they are. And I do they think Ole, I think Ole Miss is significantly better than uh, than Texas, and I think Ole Miss has one of the three best offensive minds in college football running that ship. And Jackson Dart to me has looked really, really good. So they are interesting. What does concern me though is I think there's a gap between Kentucky and Bama, and I think there's not that much of a gap between Kentucky and Ole Miss. So that's kind of where I could create some pause. But two weeks. For an offensive brilliant guy like that, I mean, that that could be a potentially dangerous game. And I think that Ole Miss will be 10-0 going into that game. Now, the real question is, do you worry about the Desmond Howard kiss of death? He said, stock's up on Ole Miss. He's bound to be wrong at some point. Does that bother you at all, or are you just going to roll with the punches? I mean, you know, he, he, the, the guy's predicted 18 different teams to be good this year. Like, eventually, <laughs> a, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. Like, he's going to be right on something. He's literally – his four playoff teams are out, so now he's shifted his analysis to, like, stock up and stock down. And it's like, well, yeah, eventually, he's going to pick 30 teams this year to be good. And then, and then eventually, it's like, all right, he's going to be right. Yeah. Yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna be right at something. The question for the chat today, or one of the questions, I don't want to steal yours if you have one. Who's more likely to win the division in the SEC, Tennessee or Ole Miss? Let us know. Hit us with a comment. Hit us with a like. And do what, all that. What an upside down world. What an what alternate universe could we see if Ole Miss can pull off the shocker and beat Bama, and Tennessee can pull off a shocker and beat Georgia, and now you have Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Atlanta? Can you imagine? Ooh, but what would really get dicey is having a one-loss non-conference champion. The justification try to sneak one of those teams in. I it it, it would be, I mean, it would be on. I, I don't. ESPN's heads would fall off. Like everyone's <laughs> heads would fall off down south. They wouldn't know what to do. It's like that SpongeBob scene where all the all the little SpongeBob's are running around inside SpongeBob's brain, like <laughs> looking for the files. Like, what's our name? What's our name? Oh man, it would be. I, I'm here. I'm here for it. Like, if there's mm-hmm. one thing I want to happen in the world, that's it. Yeah, so let's talk about the other the other game, the other uh, we know powerhouse, UGA versus Auburn. Now, I didn't I didn't even I thought for a little bit about not typing this game up at all, Zach, and not worrying about it and not previewing it. But Georgia has looked like dog shit the last two weeks, so we never know when they're going to quote unquote get got because. Kent State had them in a, t- in a tight game, and then Missouri had them in a tight game, and this is a step up from both of those teams. Now they're playing yeah. the real, not the real Tigers, the other Tigers, the JV Tigers. I mean, and and, and ultimately, like, you just look at Vegas. Yeah. Vegas has Georgia 30-point favorite in this game. I certainly have – I've already locked it in. I'm taking Auburn plus 30 because that's just – that's an absurd number. I, I know Auburn's not very good this year. <clears throat> I know Brian Harson's going to get fired. I know all of those things. But Georgia's not a 30-point f- better team than Auburn. Hmm. Not I mean, a 30-point better team than Kent State. Absolutely. And, and, I mean, you know, they, they they have been down for two weeks. They're due for an uptick. That's kind of the ebb and flow of college football. And if you look at Stetson Bennett, he's playing better than I thought he would. Mm-hmm. And the receiver group is lackluster like it has been really every year that Kirby's been there. But he he has this freak show tight end room that's absurd. Kenny McIntosh is really good. And you look at Stetson Bennett and you say, wow, he's playing better. It's like he's only thrown five touchdowns. Let's not act like he's lighting, on, lighting the world on fire. But there's several indicators that he is playing at a higher level than last year. And the biggest one that I always talk about, I just talked about it with Bryce Young, how he, he has a, whatever it was, a 20% decrease in production versus blitz. You look at Stetson Bennett, his – effectivity goes up 6% when teams blitz him. So he's better versus blitz than he is base defense, and that is problematic for defensive coordinators. He also, surprisingly, has attempted the second most passes in the SEC. And, I mean, you're never going to be first unless you're in Mike Leach's offense. I mean, Will Rogers and Mississippi State will will always lead the SEC because that's all Mike Leach does is throw it. But Georgia's thrown the ball the second most out of anyone in the SEC. Which is crazy to say. It's crazy, crazy to say, given you know what we what we know and think about Georgia long term, um, Zach. I I do want to kind of continue to ask you about Georgia. This is now their first year without a true number one outside possession receiver. People have been talking up Lad McConkey for a long time. Can you win a title with Lad McConkey as your number one receiver outside, or do you need a guy like George Pickens or, or Burton that's a little bit better, a better possession receiver with a bigger body, or can the little white guy do it? I mean, we. 
certainly possible because those guys you just mentioned weren't very good last year for Georgia either. Yeah. I mean, they, well, they, well, they didn't... Pickens, Pickens was hurt most of the year, but when they got in that stretch run, he was so valuable um, to them, especially in that Michigan game blocking wise, and then additionally embarrass some cats later on. Yeah, I mean, so it's it, we we saw it's possible. I mean, they would have to just their defense just has to be ridiculous, and they have to run the ball well. And Stetson Bennett needs to be a baller, and that kind of that's what they did last year, right? Mm-hmm. So it's possible. It's not going to happen this year. Georgia's not winning the national title. You can just book that right now. I don't know if you can bet against the team to win it, but I would bet against Georgia <laughs> to win it. Um, but but just when you look at this, you look at. Georgia's offense. I mean, the fourth best overall offense in the SEC. They're they're decent running the ball. They're decent throwing the ball. Nothing elite about this offense. Nothing except for their tight ends. But but when it comes to moving the football, they're just an above a, a good offense, not great or elite, just a good offense. And this game is going to be a blowout. I mean, Auburn can't run the ball. They they they're twelfth in the SEC in rushing now, and Georgia's defense is far better than anyone they've played. So it, it's. It's not going to be pretty. The only thing Auburn does do well is is uh, Robbie Ashford, their quarterback. He's a he's a launcher. He's a mm-hmm. deep ball thrower. I mean, he, he completes sixty four percent of his deep balls, which is one of the top in the country. But he, he can't throw it any other any other throw. He's just he's below average. So <laughs> is that like yeah, our guy Jaden Daniels? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 similar, similar. Mm-hmm. And, and and the the thing about Georgia's defense, and, and you know. You get caught in this recency bias where you you just think of Georgia's defense and they have all these dudes and you you flash back to last year. This is not the same defense. They're not disrupting the quarterback like they did last year. They, they they're 11th in the SEC with six sacks. Last year they had 49 on the season. They have six right now through five games on pace for 18. 49 sacks versus 18 sacks. Think about that. That's a entirely different. Different. That's a, that's an alleviated problem that teams don't have to worry about. They're not just they don't have these NFL freak shows just just dominating offensive lines and and making quarterbacks miserable. That's not this team. It's an entirely different defense. No, you're you're right. Um, I I am I am intrigued by the by the uh, mindset of this Georgia team because I thought after the Kent State win, Zach, that they would come out like the, with like their hair is on fire and absolutely blow out Missouri. Just because that that close game with Kent State by a lot of people was viewed as a loss, I legitimately think that they're outside of my top four teams. I have them outside of uh, Michigan and Clemson based on how they played so far this year. Given the fact that you know, I feel like they may have peaked week one. Do you think this could be a statement game, Zach, or do you worry about teams that try to quote unquote flip a switch in the middle of the year, like all Georgia beat writers and coaches have kind of talked about them doing? Listen, it happens every year. Teams hit their stride, and if they hit it at the right time, it, it's all about peaking at the right time, right? Towards the end of the year. And that, that's the most important thing you need to do to win it all. The second most important thing you need to do is not fuck it up before that happens, right? Mm-hmm. And Georgia has found a way to not fuck it up before that happens. They they were close, but they they didn't fuck it up, right? They, they ended up pulling off the comeback, beating Missouri. And, and that's the whole key. You look at the 2014 team that I was a part of that won the national championship. We've, we, we lost a game early to Virginia Tech and then slowly got better and better and didn't fuck it up the rest of the way and then peaked at the absolute perfect moment, the perfect time, right? That is what you have to do. I mean, if you're not going to be the 2019 LSU team that peaked in training camp and just never <laughs> fucking came down, I mean, they just they just stayed there the whole year. Supernova. Yeah, that's rare. That's so rare. These teams right now that you're watching, especially this year, there's not a team right now that is playing that is playing a national championship caliber football. Not one. And so you're just watching and just who's not going to fuck it up and who's going to keep improving and getting better until they peak at the right time and it's just bang, 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 national champs. So Georgia could do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they have the skill in the perimeter to do it, but they it, they could peak at the right time. Their receivers are just so fucking average. And this defense is not last year's defense. I, they're... I don't know. I'm not ready to call them fraudulent, but man, they're fucking close. <laughs> I'll be here for the fraudulent discussion. Now you coached at Ohio State, obviously you coached at a high level for a long time. How much anxiety did it cause you knowing that you were going to get teams best every single week because you are team Super Bowl? Like this for, for Auburn, this Georgia game makes their season. Last week for for Missouri, this game makes their season. They're defending champs. I mean, shit, Kent State, they had no business belonging, but. Th- they were going to give Georgia their very best, even though the, the same cannot be true for Georgia. How do you evaluate that? Did that keep you up at night when you were at Ohio State, obviously, in 2015, when you knew you were going to get everybody's best? Nah, you, you knew it. 
you knew it was coming. You knew it was going to happen. That the teams you were going to play were going to play at a different level than they've ever played. But it, ultimately, if you're at Ohio State, if you're at Georgia, you're the more talented, better football team. Like all that being said, is you have to know that's coming. And Georgia is a better and more talented team than Auburn. I mean, mm-hmm. they just are. So as long as you're on your game, as long as you handle what matters, which is yourself, your own execution, your own performance, you're not going to have an issue. And that is when you need to peak to beat an equally talented and equally well-coached team like Alabama or even Tennessee, per se. It, th- this game against Auburn shouldn't be an issue, but it will be if they just don't handle their own business. Auburn's not going to beat Georgia. Mm-hmm. If Auburn wins this game, it's because Georgia just fucking beat themselves. Facts, facts. I, I do think that. And I think we could end up seeing a, a really improved version of Georgia. I want to kind of take this conversation, Zach, and move it forward a little bit, if that's okay with you. Um, coaches on the hot seat. This is the good old hot seat detector. Um, and I want to start with the guy that you just talked about, the scale of one to five. Five being Urban Meyer's name's already been, you know, Urban Meyer's already been called. One being, he's probably saved. It's a little warm, but he's probably safe. First off, Brian Harson, where's his uh, hot seat radar at so far? It's a six. I mean, mm. it, it is it is above five. It is hotter than hot. I think he's fired probably before the season ends. I mean, it, because think about it. Not only is this is his team atrocious, which it was a bad hire. They realized it was a mistake hire. His team's not any good. But then you add in the offseason rumor issues, fucking his assistant, all this other stuff that was all rumors. We don't know that that's true. It seems pretty true, but we don't know that. But all that smoke and his team sucks and he's not a fit for the SEC because he's a Boise State guy, he, he's gone. Okay, next up, Kirk Ferentz. He's, he just has so much. That's a tough one. I mean, he, he, he he's, has such a, a, I don't know, just a history with Iowa. I, I would say it's about a three. It went from a, I'll say it might be a four. It went from a three to a four when Wisconsin fought, fired Paul Chris because Iowa mm-hmm. looks at Wisconsin and says, damn, are they going to go get a big-time coach and level up and leave us in the dust? Because if so, we might need to move on from Kirk Ferentz. His son being the OC, them being so bad on offense, that nepotism that went on there, that's certainly all hurting him. So I I think he could save his job by firing his son. Don't know that he'll do it, but I'd, I'd say his seat got a little hotter the minute Paul Chris got fired. I have to ask about this one. I, I know you don't love seeing it in the notes, but Miami plays North Carolina this week. What do you think Josh Gaddis is in terms of the hot seat operator? Well, you know, it's like anything else. He can turn it around. He can, he can, he can, he can make that offense improve. And if he shows improvement, it's year one. Mario Cristobal is not just going to fire him because they sucked in week three. I mean, if he can show improvement and and keep progressing this offense, you know, they can blame it on Tyler Van Dyke, you know, go recruit a quarterback, all these other, there's plenty of excuses to be made. It's, it's only year one, right? But if the, the offense remains a derelict offense through through the entirety of the schedule. He absolutely is fired. So I'd say right now he's about a, a three. Can they avoid can 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 he afford to get boat raced by North Carolina this week? Could that speed up the process for him? Because this this Miami defense has been has struggled. Middle Tennessee State ran a four verts concept on the two yard line. I'll never forget that. Um and obviously North Carolina, they're gonna be able to put up a ton of points. Yeah, but it's not going to affect Josh Gaddis. It's all about the offensive performance. I mean, gotcha. I mean, no, Mario's not getting fired. That's yeah, for I sure. know. I know. I'm saying like, like if Miami goes in there and scores like 25, and and North and North Carolina scores 40, it's gonna look it's gonna look bad. I was just curious if that would. Yeah, it's gonna him. look bad, but it's gonna look bad on Mario, not on Josh Gaddis. As long as the mm. offense, I mean, if they if if they look as pedestrian or elementary as they have looked against Texas A and M and against Middle Tennessee State, if they look that same way, then his heat keeps his, the heat on his seat keeps getting a little hotter. But if they come out and you know. I mean, North Carolina gave up 100 points to App State. I mean, if, if they go out and score, Josh Gaddis's seat will is fine as long as they keep improving. It, it's, they could lose by 30, and it won't affect Josh Gaddis as long as the offense looks better. Heard and heard. All right, Zach, um, one more. Our guy, also big game this weekend, Jimbo Fisher. Where is he at? One to five. Well, I mean, it, this game's going to have no bearing on it. No one expects, at this point, expects him to beat Bama. Nobody. I mean, not the administration, not even him. He doesn't expect to win this game going into it. So this game's not going to intensify the heat on his seat. It's, it's going to be the those those exterior games, right? LSU, Ole Miss, like the, those other games where you're like, damn, if he drops those and ends up 500 or sub-500 in the SEC, that's when that heat is way up. 
and they are legitimately in fundraising mode to try to raise 90 million or 80 million dollars to fire the guy. And then uh <laughs> and then who do you go get? <laughs> you go get the one. You go get go, the guy. Go get herbs. All right, Zach, question of the uh of of the day. Just real quick, it's not in the notes. Off the top of your head to this point, who is the assistant coach of the season so far? For Ohio State? For anybody. You could pick Ohio State coach, you could pick any coach. Mm. Who do you think's done oh, a really a, good job? It's a big question. A, you might have to sit on that big one. For question. A while. We'll stick with Ohio State. I really have to think about it nationally, but uh, uh, Ohio State. I, I mean, you got to say Jim Knowles. I mean, he re, he he transformed that entire defense from a bottom of the barrel defense into a top twenty-five defense already, um, and and they're only going to get better and better and better as the season goes on. Um, so, it, it's Jim Knowles is the is the hire of the offseason for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm going to go with uh, with Manny Diaz as kind of the assistant coach of the year. After that first game where they gave up 30 points, they have yet to give up more than two touchdowns in a single game the rest of the way. Um, I think he's been a really big-time hire and, uh, and interesting because he makes Penn State just a little bit more intriguing and a little bit more dangerous. That's my assistant coach at this point. Well, but again, he, he, there's, a, there's a perfect perfect segue for, for me to just, just show you, Chris, how you're wrong. <laughs> because <laughs> – I mean, you. I didn't know you were going to bring that up, but you just. I mean, you. You just lobbed me a, a soft toss, and I'm about to hit it out of the park. When I, one of the biggest things I, I start to look at this time of year, right, is is there's X amount of undefeated teams. I can't remember the number, but you start to look at them and say, you know, we do we do it, contender, pretender, right? And I look at these defenses because you have to have a solid defense to win a national championship. It doesn't have to be outstanding, but I look at my big stat. You know, Chris, I always talk about it is missed tackles, and I'm like, mm-hmm. all right. Of all these undefeated teams, who's tackling the best, right? And it's still a little skewed because of competition. They haven't gotten into the heart of conference play. But when you look at it, you know what undefeated team leads the country in missed tackles? Who? Michigan has the least missed tackles of anyone in the country at 27 missed tackles, right? TCU TCU actually has less, but through four games, they would project at 31 missed tackles. So they have 25 missed tackles. So TCU and Michigan are tackling very well. USC is third at 34. Then Bama and Georgia are tied at 37. Oh, I'm sorry, with Kansas. Those three are tied at 37. Syracuse and Clemson at 39. Ohio State at 45 missed tackles through five games. So slightly under double digits, but not great. Then Oklahoma State projected at 45. They've only played four games with 36. UCLA, 46. Ole Miss, who I just praised their defense, has 57 (laughs) missed tackles. And the worst undefeated defense in college football is Penn State's defense with 58 missed tackles on the year. Thanks, coach. Can we do the damn super chats now? Or are you, are you just gonna yeah, do the super chats? I'm done dunking on you. My bad. <laughs> that wasn't a dunk. You fucking windmilled on me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, thank you for the five. Besides JSN, do you see any other wide receiver going pro after the season? What about running back Brian Williams? Um, I, I, I don't. I, I mean, I can't say I don't see him going pro. Kids, kids make mistakes all the time. I don't think there's an NFL ready receiver. I don't think Mayan's ready for the NFL. Um, and, and the only eligible, been, yeah, the only eligible receiver would be Fleming. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Ju- I mean, Julian absolutely shouldn't leave. Um, and and Mayan, I could see him leaving. Um, he's absolutely played exceptional. I I think he could use a year to try to develop a burst. He he's a lot like J.K. Dobbins, very different runner. But if you remember on this show, I all I talked about was how J.K. was not a home run back because he wasn't. And then that final off season leading up to his last season. He developed a, a different gear in the weight room, training with Mickey Marotti, and I think Mayan could benefit from that. Coming back and trying to develop that 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 next gear to pull away from you know pull away in some of these creases and, and become a an NFL back. Yeah. No, I, de- I definitely agree with that. Um, it is definitely an interesting you know point of discussion. I don't know where where Mayan Williams would rank among like draft eligible running backs. I don't know if who would fall in love with his traits because um, a lot of times you see. Wait, I mean, you have to think run- about it, right? He's he's definitely going just I mean off the top of my head, Bajan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs are definitely going before him. How many running backs are going in the first two rounds? Maybe three or four. So he's hoping to be a second round pick at that point, probably more a third or fourth round pick. And at that point, what are you leaving for? He's getting a, a little bit of NIL money. He might as well come back and try to vault himself into that top echelon of 
running backs in a draft class. So uh, he he absolutely should come back. I you know don't know that he will. Sometimes kids make those decisions. I guess mistakes. <laughs> yeah, I mean we, we've seen it before. Um, I mean I'm interested to see like if we we continue to see those mistakes with kids being able to benefit and get nil money. So there's like not as much of a rush to get to the league if that makes uh, any sense. Mm-hmm. Could Tom McCord be our Mac Jones, but a little worse and just benefit off of an amazing team full of juniors next year? I mean you and I have talked about how good the sophomores are this year. So listen, he'll have weapons. Listen, I, I'm not saying Kyle McCord won't become a good quarterback. I've never said that. All I've ever said is from what I've seen in games, I don't watch practice. I don't know what goes on in practice reps. I haven't seen that pop that gets you excited that he could be a great quarterback. That's all. Doesn't mean he doesn't have it. Doesn't mean he won't develop it. I'm not a huge fan of his demeanor. Not a lot of swag to him. Not a lot of baller. When he's out there on the field, but he's he's a nervous young quarterback. You know, a lot can happen when CJ Stroud exits campus. That's that's a critical point in this kid's career where he could all of a sudden just blossom and flourish. And knowing he's the guy could create the atmosphere spark, where he develops right. he develops into a fucking dude. His career's not over. I don't want to write off Kyle McCord because he hasn't looked great in mop-up duty, but I just haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. And so as they, you know, if Ryan hasn't seen it either, they need to make a plan for if he just isn't it. But he certainly could be. Yes, he could absolutely be a Mac Jones situation. Now, I will say, when Tua got hurt and Mac Jones came in, he was it. Bald. And I mean, everyone in the world was saying Bryce Young was going to start over Mac Jones. And I was the one sports media platform that was pounding the table saying, Mac Jones is a fucking dude. He's a legit quarterback. Who I don't know shit about Bryce Young, but we're not going to write Mac Jones off like he's going to lose his job to some freshman, and 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 so I I didn't I didn't see this this massive jump for Mac Jones from his, the year he took over for Tua to the year he started and became a first round pick. I thought he was that that isn't year it, before. Isn't it crazy that him and Tua were in the same class, like coming out of high school? Wild. It is that is real bizarre. <laughs> um, thank you for the two. When the Colts lose tonight, I say fire or say if I'm or say I fire the head coach. I mean, they got to do something. They're bad. They do. Jonathan Taylor what is, hasn't gone over 70 yards this year. Uh, I think he has like zero touchdowns and he was like drafted number one overall in 67 percent of fantasy leagues. So that's just a uh, tough sledding. Vince, <laughs> thanks for the two. F.O.U. Hook him. I hope you were drops 400 on him. OK, cool. <laughs> Me, too. I'm a Texas fan. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Jimbo Fisher is paying the toll for running his mouth. Thanks, Philip, for the Jimbo's $2. About to get, he's about to get slapped. It's going to it's gonna be bad. Oh, this is a great question. This is a football question. Connor Baker, thank you for the five. Zach, who is the best pure route runner you have ever coached? Who is the best corner you coached against and best at Ohio State? Pure route Ooh. runner. That's a tricky one. Pure route runner. Uh, Terry McLaurin was really good. Like you talk about coach, like when I coached things to be done a certain way, he always was the most coachable. I mean, he did things exactly how I how I taught him to do them, if that makes sense. He was extremely coachable and he was a really, really good route runner. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I I guess I'd have to go with Terry. I mean, he he was a really good route runner. Uh, Austin Mack was also a really good route runner. That answer um, surprises best, me. I thought it was going to be Michael Thomas. <laughs> no, Mike Mike ran good routes, but he 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 got away with um, sloppiness a lot because of his ball skills. Like he he wasn't like Terry was trying to do things as best as he could to get as open as he could, and he the ball skills came later. Mike had freaky ball skills, so. You know, sometimes he wouldn't use a great release because he would just wanted to run and was just like, throw it up, I'll catch it. And and <laughs> I mean, it works. <laughs> he he has those type of ball skills, but it just he wasn't a, a technician when it yeah. came to running routes. And he ran some routes phenomenally. But what I, was I Johnny Dixon in, in that? I always feel like Johnny Dixon was a real good route runner too. But that's yeah, Johnny was a good guy. route runner. He was. And then best corner I've I've, I've ever been around was pr- probably Marshawn Lattimore. Mm-hmm. Either him or Joe Hayden. Heard. Heard, am I slow or is NFL co- head coaching at an all-time low right now? I think football's at an all-time low right now. I mean, you look at and JB, Coach JB on his show goes on rant after rant about it. I mean, some of these guys that are starting in the NFL, you're like, how is this the best we got? Mm-hmm. Like, how are the uh, Baker Mayfield is still a starting quarterback? How is that possible? 
Like we don't have anyone else out there in the in the country that can play quarterback. We only need 32 of them, right? We we don't, we don't need 60. It's not college football. You don't need 135. You only need 32. And there's no age limit. Like you, you can have 10 different classes. There's not 32 guys. <laughs> you could have wild. 10 different classes. Oh, this is a great question from the Rod Farva. Talk to us. I don't know. How did LSU fans get Tim Tebow's number in 2007? Tell the story for those who haven't heard it. Well, I, so we went to play LSU in 2007, Tebow's Heisman year. He was having an outstanding year and LSU message boards. Someone got a hold of his phone number. No one knows how, probably some like friend of a friend in high school or maybe it was through recruiting. Who knows? But his number got posted on message boards and Tim was receiving a hundred voicemails minimally every day of game week of people talking shit, telling him to kill himself, like the, the most vile shit you could ever say. And he, he would always come in my in my office before his quarterback meeting and just play, just like hit play and they would roll through. And you're just listening like, damn, how do you say that to a human being? Just some of the stuff they said was so vile and so just hateful. But it, 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 I don't know how they got it, but man, you talk about passionate. That's a nice way to put LSU fans. They were passionate. <laughs> 100% here for it. Thanks, Zach. I got nothing else left for today. Um, you got anything else you want to hit? No, that's it. I appreciate everybody, Chris. Um, go check out my bookie, promo code Menace. Obviously, go get your Manscaped tools. Promo code Menace, 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. And the last one is prize picks. If you Tonight will be a fun one. You got an NFL game. Go put two or three over on, or, or uh, more or less picks on, on these fantasy fantasy numbers or receptions go to prize picks you same deposit match promo code menace whatever you put in they'll double it and give you free money prize picks i've already mentioned it's i'm having so much fun with it because it's so different from sports gambling it's, it's just more like fantasy numbers so if you enjoy fantasy football go check out prizepicks.com with promo code menace and have some fun but chris i appreciate you appreciate everybody menace out